The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to extend my welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. If you are a member here, it's so good to be together. And if you're visiting, you are a blessing to us. Thank you for being here and sharing your lives with us. It is truly a blessing. We're in a sermon series, Christ and Crisis, and usually this moment of our worship, for those of you that are uh, visiting with us, usually this is a time where we gather around God's Word. Over the past year, we have uh, gathered around the Gospel of Luke and talked about the Spirit-powered Gospel. Last spring, we gathered around the book of Acts and talked about the Spirit-powered church. Over the summer, we, we uh, gathered around... God's Word in Galatians, it talked about the Spirit-powered life and the fruits of spi- the Spirit in our life. But we also believe in this church, while Scripture is authoritative for our lives, and God is actively working through Scripture, we also believe He's actively working in our midst in our lives today. And we have members, more than just a few, but we have people in this congregation that have stories to tell. Stories about the way God has worked in their life, not only in the good times, but particularly when they're in crisis. And so I want to thank the SISC uh, and Gene Mulliken for sharing over the past two weeks. If you have connected with their story, I'm, I know they would love to connect with you. Because once you've gone through a certain crisis... Uh, it's like you join a club and no one else really understands. And when you find someone that really understands, I know this from personal experience, you are drawn to that person because you're like, you know what we can't even express. And so being together and sharing that, I know they would love to do that with you. So today we're going to continue with our Christ in crisis and we're going to let Uh, the Word of God flow through the lives of um, one family as they give their testimony about being in crisis. Uh, Before I invite them up, Mike and Holly Osborne. I've known Mike and Holly for 20 years now. They've been married for 19, and they've been members of this congregation for a a little over 20 years. Um, Mike is the state representative for Edmond in Oklahoma. He's a, he's a, he works down in the Capitol building. He represents Edmond. He's a lawyer. Uh, Holly is a professor of management at UCO. But despite all their uh, professional uh, degrees and their accomplishments and their careers, from 2006 to 2010, Mike Osborne was unemployed and could not find a job for four years. They have three children, Cole, Bodie, and Gentry. And that time was the time when their children were born. So they have a story to tell about crisis. It's always a crisis to lose a job, but to be employed for four years is a long time to be in that kind of crisis. So I want to invite them up 
to join me. Let's give them a big Springs welcome as they join us up on stage. And before you guys have a seat here, and before we get started, go ahead, grab those mics. Before we get started, let me, uh, let me pray over us. Let me pray over you guys. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for your word that not only speaks to us in the pages of scripture and through the life, particularly in the life of Jesus, but continues to speak to us through the power of your spirit and the lives that we share together. I pray for Mike and Holly that you will speak through them, that will, you will tell the story um, of, your, of their life and the, what, the way that story gives witness to you and the power of your spirit in working in their life. So, Father, I pray your blessing upon them. May you give them their, your words. And for us that are to receive them, we pray for ears to hear. We pray for hearts that will follow, and we pray for lives and bodies that will obey. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is your word to us. Amen. Well, let's begin with how, uh, how you got there. You, you lost your job in 2006. Give us some background. Give us kind of context for how that, what you were doing, what your life was like. And then how that, your crisis began. Well, first, first of all, thank you all very much for uh, allowing us to do this. Um, we, we've, we've told this story uh, a few times, and it's always, we found, sort of more of a blessing for us um, because, uh, because it allows us to, to share some things. Um, I'm going to just tell you up front that Ben told us we had 75 to 90 minutes um, mm. to to do this, and so we're going to take all that, um, so buckle in. Um, uh, we'll finish with uh, how confession of sin is essential <laughs> to life, and lying is one of those things. So, <laughs> so I grew up in uh, Tahlequah, Oklahoma, um, under the uh, excellent parenting of uh, Ron and Judy Osborne, who are back here uh, somewhere. Um, I went to, uh, uh, graduated from Tahlequah High School, went to um, undergraduate at Oklahoma Christian University, um, and then uh, went to University of Oklahoma College of Law. Um, then in uh, 1993, I took the bar um, and passed it and uh, was out ready to, to conquer the world. Um, and uh, there were no law jobs, um, really, in the state of Oklahoma at that particular point. So uh, I became the driver for a guy that nobody had ever heard of who was running for governor named Frank Keating. So I could have gotten that uh, from the Department of Motor Vehicles for about $15, but instead um, I went all the way through law school uh, and became his driver. Um, later on uh, that year in 1993, he jumped in the car and said, hey, I need a campaign manager and I think you can do it. Do you want to do it? And I said, yes. Um, and so I uh, became his campaign manager. Um, that whole campaign worked out very well for us. Um, and so uh, I, I then went to work in his office for a, for a little bit. Uh, went back to Oklahoma Christian uh, and worked there as the assistant to the president. Um, 
and uh, that's where I met Holly. Uh, she was a student. I was an administrator. There was a little bit of a scandal there, but everything is okay. Um, uh, we need to save that story for another <laughs> Sunday. Um, then I left there and uh, and went um, went to work for Senator Don Nichols, um, assuming that he was going to stay in office for a while. He decided in 2004 that he was going to retire, um, and so I um, uh, I went uh, looking and uh, and actually was asked to establish and run a grassroots advocacy group um, here in in the state of Oklahoma, which I did. Um, and uh, worked there for, for several years, two years, and uh, had a um, pretty successful, actually a very successful event um, at, uh, at Oklahoma Christian, actually, where I invited a, uh, several people to come and speak, and it was a, it was a kind of a fun um, event and fun rally. And um, after it was over with, the national president of the, of the group that I was heading here in Oklahoma um, sat me down and he said, Mike, this is a great, uh, this is a great event, uh, great turnout, um, good work on it. Oh, we're not going to renew your contract. Um, and, um, it was, uh, it was a little bit of a shock. Um, I was initially told that it was, uh, an effort, uh, to consolidate and that they were, you know, looking to make sure to try to shore up some finances and things like that. So um, later found out that it was um, an attempt to get a job for a high school buddy. Um, but, um, but that was a, that was a shock. Um, we weren't worried uh, necessarily because we had always landed on our feet and everything was, uh, everything was usually pretty, pretty smooth. And we had some cash and in, in uh, savings that, that was that was liquid and so uh, we weren't concerned at first and then a year later um, when nothing had materialized that's when we started to worry a little bit I was trying but failing to get clients for my uh, new association management business that I established uh, during that time um, but I was failing at that there people weren't um, I wasn't a very good salesman, apparently. Um, I got a job at FedEx um, loading boxes, loading and unloading boxes from trucks, um, and, uh, and worked there for, for several months. Um, I was in some pretty good shape. Um, I Holly looked, confirmed that. <laughs> the best I, you ever looked, as she said. Yeah. I looked good. Um, <laughs> um, had a couple of short-term political jobs. Um, had multiple times, and this was this is kind of funny um, and ironic, but I had multiple times where I had interviews and job searches that lasted six or nine months. I mean, long deals where I would go in and 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 uh, visit with them, only uh, to find to end up in the final two and not get the job. Um, in fact. I remember one uh, where they where they asked me to uh, to write the job description for the job, and then they gave the, the job to the other guy uh, with the same with the same job description, um, and that was that was all pretty disappointing. Um, and that happened over you know over the course of four years, without literally without me having any secure 
normal employment. Um, Holly had a job that whole time, but it, it wasn't enough to, to make our uh, ends meet. Um, and at the end of those four years, we had, um, you know, we had depleted all the savings. We were looking into getting financial aid um, from the government. Um, in fact, weirdly, um, her job was about 150 or $200 too much for us to get food stamps. Um, and uh, so we were, we were in a pickle. Um, we were even close to losing our house, which Holly's going to get into here in a little bit. But uh, all in all, that was a, it was a four-year odyssey for us. Before I go on to the next question, I remember when we were talking, um, you lost your job. You have a law degree and a pretty good resume, right? In other words, uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that um, in some ways you think there's no reason for you not to get a job, your connections. Uh, but in other words, this happens. Like, for example, you told me not only you're applying for jobs that met your met what you're qualified to do, you would apply to Lowe's and they would look at your resume and go, you're too, you're overqualified for this. So I could get a job in what he was qualified to do. He couldn't even get a job at, at Lowe's. That's right. That's correct. I think that's why a lot of other people thought too, like, why can't he just go get this, you know, so. It's it probably was, what you thought. It, for a while. So yeah. That's what we thought. It, it is. And, and I will tell you also, if you think about those years, that was also the recession. That was the height of the recession. Mm -hmm. And so people were, people weren't hiring. And so, you know, all of this, it was a, it was a perfect storm. Talk about how this affected. Now, now this has to, any kind of crisis like this has to affect your relationship, right? But that it went on for four years. Like talk about how that affected your guys's relationship. Like what was life like? How did it affect you guys? I mean, almost you could talk about it on a daily level, but now you're extending to months and long periods of time where it's not just, how did that affect you guys? I think that, um, at, you know, at first we were doing, I mean, we were, you know, we had a plan, you know, mm -hmm. and we got through Dave Ramsey even. So we were like, we were, I mean, we got this plan down and uh, we did actually have money and savings and all that. So we were in pretty good shape at first, but over time, we started having more and more discussions about what needed to go, um, what needed, you know, and um, and he got, honestly, I mean, he got testy. That's that's a nice word for it. <laughs> so I would, I remember one conversation um, that I, we had already cut our budget a lot, and um, and I thought one thing that could go was um, we still had cable um, we had taken our cable almost down to kind of the bare bones but we had cable that was um, that was for sports and um, and I will tell you that um, we got to the point that we were gonna lose our house but we were still paying for cable <laughs> and um, but it was priorities good well it was good job, it's Mike. weird because it's conversations like that 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 we're talking about cable and I get that, but we're talking about so much more. And at the time I didn't realize that at the time I was, I was angry at him for like, are you freaking kidding me right now? That's what I, I was because I mean, we're talking about cable and we're trying to feed our kids, but, 
but for him, that meant, I mean, that just, I mean, it was psychologically, it was just too much. Like he could not handle that. Those conversations were, I mean, he would fly off the handle if we had those conversations. And so, I mean, those, and those were the allowed conversations, you know, those were the things we spoke aloud. There were other, there were other things in my head that I remember during this time we lost, he lost his job when Cole was a baby and we had two children during that time. And I literally thought, should we put things on hold? Should we not have kids right now? Um, and we do know what causes that we, but we, we, I mean, I had that conversation in my head. I never had that conversation with him mm -hmm. because I ended up deciding I couldn't handle that. That was too much for me. Like that was losing cable was too much for him and not continuing doing our family was too much for me. There were just things that you had, but there are conversations that you just kind of are like, why am I even thinking about this? But you, I mean, you know, you have those kind of, um, and honestly, I was resentful of him. I thought that he should be the one that was providing for our family, and I was absolutely resentful of him. But I, I know you have a response, but I want to say, so, so we laugh about the cable, but, what's, but I imagine it wasn't, just, it wasn't about the cable, right? Right. It was, it was about pride, really, and she, she just said it, too. I mean, she resented me. Well, I resented Mike. I mean, I resented me. I was um, embarrassed and um, stressed, and um, and I and I just you know I, I depressed, and I felt like maybe I felt like cable was that <laughs> that one thing that helped that helped me still be a man, you know, because I I felt like I wasn't. I felt like I wasn't. I wasn't doing right by my family. And so then, as weird as this is, and, and now I know how funny it sounds, and I'm looking at lots of faces like, what is your problem? Um, <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, that was the thing, right? It was the thing that if I had given up cable at that point, I was, I mean, that was it. Kinda. Well, and, and so it wasn't like, it. I mean, at that time, it wasn't like he was, you know, he could stand up and say, you know, this is hurting my pride and this, I'm, I'm embarrassed by this. I mean, it, it's not like he had those words and, or that he was willing to express that. Hmm. And so, you know, little things became big, huge blowups and little, I mean, you know, there, there was, um, there was just, there was a lot, a lot of, of tension. And so, in the resentment, I lost my tissue. In my in my resentment phase, when you I I felt isolated because I couldn't talk to him about my fears because I was really really scared honestly, and I couldn't talk to him about that. And so that became I became more isolated and more um, you know kind of felt alone in that. And you couldn't talk to him about those things because you knew the kind of stress and how he felt about and himself would, yeah. and you didn't want to pile it on. Right. He went, and, and, he yeah. didn't, and he didn't handle it well. It's not like he, you know, sat there and said, oh, I, I hear you and I'm concerned for you, you know. Yeah. So he, he would get angry and that, and that, that didn't help. Yeah, and so I yeah. just, you know, instead I, so I decided, you know, um, you know, I would, um, I would keep my fears and my concerns to myself. So talk to me about um, you talked about what that crisis looked like and what that relationship looked like. What did, uh, we're getting attacked. 
Uh, talk, to, talk to us about what faith looked like. I mean, was that like, uh, was there any faith? I mean, you, people, you were people of faith. You've been going to church your, your, you know, your whole life. What did faith look like? Was it a moment, were there moments of despair? Was it moments where you just cling to, I mean, what did faith look like for you guys in the midst? And it was four years, so it might've looked like many things. It, it did. It changed, it changed a lot. Um, but I, it, just to kind of boil it down a little bit for me, um, and, and it looks, looks way different for Holly, but, um, that was really the only time in my life up to that point that I had spent any time at all reading the word and journaling and do, and it, it's it's really sad to me now that now that I look back on it um, that that it took something like that for me to do that. But one, interestingly enough, I had time, or I felt like I had time to do mm-hmm. that. Um, but but two, um, it did bring me it did bring me some peace, um, and uh, and and it was it was a good it was a good thing for me. Um, one of the other things, um, too, that I want to point out, and then I want to pass it to Holly, um, is that it was really the only time in my life that I can remember before um, going to um, elders and and more seasoned people in in church and friends of mine who uh, you know maybe even younger uh, people um, to seek godly counsel um on things um and so it was um it was it was it was good for me spiritually um uh, i i feel like holly i think um like you said this is four years and so i think there were seasons of different things um interestingly we um we had a we, we did several, there were several different things that happened during this time, faith-wise. And one of those t- things is um, we decided early on, and I don't know if we would have decided later on, but we decided early on after a sermon series that Mark Henderson did that we would tithe for the first time ever. Hmm. And I remember th- he said specific, I mean, he, he framed it in, do you trust God? Do you truly trust him? And so we decided, all right, we're going to, we're going to do this. And it became harder and harder as the money dwindled and dwindled that we were going to, that we were going to do this. But I think money became like, I, I could fi- I figured out that money was one of my safety nets. It was one of the things that gave me security. And it was one of the things that allowed me to trust that everything was going to be okay instead of trusting God that everything was going to be okay. Mm. And so we, we made that decision and we, we stuck to it in the, in the four years that we were in this. I also made a decision and this was more mid on, um, but our relationship was not good. Probably two years in, um, we had now two kids. We had, I mean, it was just, we were fighting quite a bit. And I specifically remember um, a friend saying, do you see him the way God sees him? And I didn't. I was mad at him and I didn't see him. And so I decided that I was going to stop being mad at Mike Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And instead, I was going to be mad at God. And so I was mad at God for about two years. And I, um, but what that allowed me to do, I remember one night he was sleeping and I, um, I prayed over him with absolute love. And I was able at that point to be his cheerleader. Like I was able to see that he was in pain. I was able to see that he needed me to support him more than he needed, um, than I needed the financial security. And so, um, so I, I mean, so I stopped, you know, I, I stopped seeing him as someone who wasn't providing for us. And I started seeing him as someone who was hurting and that, I mean, and I, and, and God, I mean, God heard a lot of angry words from me from, from then on. Um, but then I hit a season and I was in that season and I was, um, I had the kids in the car. I remember I was on I-44. I don't know where I was going, but I know, I mean, I remember I was crossing class and exit. I can tell you that weird how memory works. And I was kind of, I was crying and I was kind of yelling. I don't, the kids probably were like, what's the wrong with that woman? <laughs> and, um, the song, whatever the song was, had spurred it on. And I specifically remember that I was saying, why aren't you taking care of us? And um, I just remember specifically him saying, I asked you to take care of others. It is my job to take care of you. Are you taking care of others? And I knew at that point that I was totally focused on ourselves and that I wasn't focused on anyone else but us. And, um, and I just, I called him on this, on, I mean, on the highway, I called him and said, we aren't supposed to be worrying about us. He's going to take care of us. We've got, uh, we've got to take care of others. And so, um, that kind of solidified our, I mean, where our walk and where we were. Um, January, 2010, I got, uh, I mean, things ha weren't any better. Um, and we were, I, I had a, I had a, I had a better peace with things. I was in better shape as far as I remember one time he lost a job and I prayed so much for it. I was like, okay, well, that's not the job then. Uh, we needed it, but I just knew it was like, God's that's not the job. And so there were things like that. And I felt like, okay, I have this peace, but financially things were not better. And so, um, so January, 2010, I'm in my office and we had through our bank, they had kind of advertised that there was free financial counseling. So I had made an appointment with this. I don't even know who they are. Um, but they gave me all these forms and this paperwork and I filled everything out and I had an appointment to call them. So at the office, I called this financial counselor. She's very kind. And she went through kind of step-by-step step, all the, an the answers I had given her and all the things that I, we had looked at. And um, I believe she probably said, we need to cut cable. I don't remember. She was wrong too. <laughs> But what I do remember is we left and she had three suggestions for us. Um, she said, all right, well, based on what I see here, I have three suggestions. The one was to go 
start using a food bank. And honestly, I did not like that suggestion. The other one was we had a room. We had a four-bedroom house, and at that time we were using three of the four, and she said, you need to rent that room out. I also did not like that suggestion. And she said the third option is for you to sell your house. You can live off of, you have enough equity in it, you can live off of that. Um, And so I told her thank you. But it was... It was weird because I think I don't, I didn't realize how bleak the situation was until she said it. Mm-hmm. I kind of knew, but I was like, surely she's going to come up with a, you know, some kind of financial, and she did it. And so I hung up, and I cried a lot. And I knew I was going to have to go home that night and tell Mike that we needed to put our house on the market. And he took that conversation better than I thought, honestly. We both kind of knew it was, that was the only option. But I remember walking, I would walk at night, and I remember looking up at the stars one night after that conversation and saying, where are you? Mm. Like, what, I mean, why have you left us? So... And that was after all these other, like, times of, you know, of confidence and peace. So, I mean, to say that, you know, what our faith journey looked like, I'm not really sure. The only thing I can say is that I never stopped talking to him. Mm -hmm. I don't think either of us stopped talking to him. We, I yelled at him, and I was angry at him, and I also was, you know, felt alone. But I, I don't think either of us stop talking to him. I love it. I think it's significant that you had this moment to where you knew he couldn't take your anger and the stress and your, but you said, you didn't say this, but you basically said, but God was big enough to take it. And it sounded like it may have that one of the reasons saved your marriage. There was a significant way that God worked in your, um, in your journey. And um, I, I think I mentioned you know, your, your accomplishments and all your degrees and you found yourself in a situation where you were trying everything that you knew and ultimately it wasn't up to you in that sense. Like it was this very breaking, humbling moment for both of you. What was that, what was the moment that was kind of began to be a breakthrough that wasn't of you, but was of God? So, uh, One day, uh, I was home with the kids. He wasn't there, and uh, there was an envelope in our entryway. And I remember walking past it going, what is that? And um, just so you know, at that time, our, we, our door was awful. We had no insulation whatsoever. So someone had actually slid an envelope into our house under our door. And uh, it's been a little over nine years since I've read this, but I pulled this uh, letter out. And it says, Mike and Holly, when you read about the early church in Acts 2, it talks about how those baptized in the church took care of each other. The passage says that they went so far as to sell their possessions so that they could provide for each other, selling all that they had and all things they had in common. We believe God is leading us to do much the same, 
as talked about in these verses. We will give God's money to God's children. We cannot imagine how hard it would be to be on the receiving side of something like this. It would be awkward at best. But please understand, we feel led by God to do this. And we ask you not to be uncomfortable with how God chooses to bless you, but to be thankful that he is. Understand this is his money and not ours. You have prayed for a hope and he has answered. Receive his blessing with thanksgiving. It goes on to say, we do not want to know how you spend the money. That's between you and God. We simply hope that you ask and bask in his faithfulness. If you want to spend it on bills, spend it on bills. And if you want to go on vacation, spend it on vacation. As always, just honor God. And with it came a check. And I read down to the end. And it signed, your father is faithful. And I remember that I felt so sad and embarrassed that I had stopped trusting him. That I had asked him where he was when all along he was always there and he had always provided for us. We never went hungry for four years. And that, that reminder that your father is faithful was literally an answer to that walk that night when I said, where are you? And he was saying, I am right here. I felt like the Israelites, honestly, I was like, well, this is what the Israelites felt like. Um, because we, uh, we forgot and, um, that check kept coming, um, until later that spring in 2010, um, Mike found employment. Um, so, um, it was... It was April of twenty of two thousand ten, and um, and it's funny because I know what your next question is going to be, and that is how did the how did the church um, uh, participate um, in in this time of crisis? Um, and uh, I will tell you that after after four years of this um, and us going to connections group and being around um, the, the people of the church, we started feeling like we were sounding like a broken record. You know, it was hard to go um, to, to Connections Group. They were awesome and, um, and very supportive of us, but it was hard for us to go every week um, and, uh, and say, week 187 and still no employment, you know, and, um, and then, you know, have them pray over us and, and, and all that, that stuff. You know, we honestly felt like people were whispering behind our backs and, you know, and it was just, it was a, it was a crazy time. And then, um, you all remember this, those of you who lived here in Oklahoma during that time, but in, uh, in April of 2010, there was a massive hailstorm, um, where there were like cantaloupe sized pieces of hail falling out of the sky, um, very old testimony. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it, it, it uh, ruined a lot of 
houses and um, and a relationship that I had from church called me um, and uh, said, "We we have more than we can handle here at the at the uh, roofing company that that." I'm working at, and um, if you're willing to do it, we need your help. And um, and so it you know it took um, fire and ice from heaven um, uh, to um, to to break the cycle that that we were in, and um, and so finally I had a I had a job, and it was and, and it was as a result of relationships from the church. You guys have shared uh, the way this church have, have blessed you. And there's lots of lessons that we can learn. I'm hoping you're hearing them, what they're saying, without any shame, but say, Here, here's some things that were meaningful to us when we were unemployed. What would you say to those who might be either in this situation or might find themselves in this situation in the future? What words do you have for, for those Um, the, the, the first thing I would say is that um, if you are trying to make your timing God's timing, you're going to be pretty disappointed um, because our timing is not his timing. However, if you switch that and you try to make God's timing your timing, there's there's peace there, um, and you know that it's all going to be okay. Um, it might not look exactly the way you you think it should, um, but if you try to make God's timing your timing, it, it's way better. And I'm not good at this, um, even today, even after we've we've been through this. Um, two more quick things. Um, if your identity is in your job like mine was, it makes it rough. Um, and um, and my, my identity was in, I mean, I hadn't really had much failure um, in my professional um, life. I, I, I hadn't. It, everything had just worked out, and it had been one seamless thing until um, 2006. And then finally, and this is something that we continue to remember all the time. Um, Mark Henderson uh, one time had a, a, uh, a sermon where he, and I can't remember whether it was actually in during this time or whether it was before it or after it, but his, his statement was, God will not waste your pain. Hmm. And we feel like doing this um, is, is us making good on God not wasting our pain. Um, and, um, and so we, I mean, if you ever feel like you're in a, in a situation like this, we would certainly invite you to, um, to give us a holler because we can, we can certainly help. I think the thing that, <clears throat> I mean, you know, I think this type of crisis is like a lot of other types of crisis, you know? I mean, I don't think that we did anything. I, I can't say that, you know, we, in fact, we're not the poster child for uh, surviving unemployment. I'm p 
positive we're not. We did many things wrong. I mean, we were still paying for cable, for goodness sakes. <laughs> so That keeps coming up, for heaven's nice, sake. Nice point. But there were Good other point. things. You know, there were, I mean, we, um, we just, but I think the thing that, um, I think the thing that, that I would say is that, I mean, the first is that, you know, I remember a friend as I was talking to her and I was like, I'm, she was like, so are you so excited he had gotten the job? And I was like, I'm actually still in shock. I think I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's not registering yet. And I said, I think it will, but it's not registering. And, and, um, and I remember her saying, you know, you know, the, the neatest thing about this is that, um, you're, you're out of it. I know you are, you're out of it. And I said, well, I'm going to, you know, I'll take your word for it for now. And she said, but the coolest thing about it is you're out of it on the other side together. Mm. And I do think that sometimes it's okay to be mad at God. And I think that, I mean, you know, for whatever reason, I think it's okay that you just, but that you, you keep going to him, you know, you keep, you know, you don't, you don't turn your back on him, but you, but it's okay to say, you know, I, that you've left me. It's okay to say what, what, it, what's going on here. It's okay to be confused because he, I mean, he meets you where you are. And if you're not in a place where you even understand that, that's okay. He understands it, but you've got to know that he meets you where you are. And I think one of the ways that you do that, that you don't turn your back on him is that you recognize who the people are that can speak truth to you mm. when you're in a place that you, you really want to listen to the lies you want. I mean, I wanted to blame him. I want, that was the easy thing to do. It was not the easy thing to do to, um, to, to say, you know, Oh, I understand. So, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it wasn't the easy thing to do, but you need people around you that remind you that God is there. And even if you're like, well, I don't like God right now. I, I think it's it's important to have those people around you that remind you, well, he's still there. And um, and not turning your back on him was one of the things that allowed us not just to survive it. Because I think at some point, you know, we would have gotten, figured something out, right? Yeah. Not just to survive it, but to survive it stronger, yeah. to survive it um, together, to survive it with lessons that we can, yeah, that we can share with others. Yeah. Those things are what, what, I mean, that's where, that's where God redeems pain. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys being vulnerable and sharing a story, uh, now being on the side, but it's still painful to share, um, and be able to talk about the ways that God has been working in the midst of your crisis. Let's give them a big hand for their vulnerability and sharing. Let me, let me pray over you guys. Let me say a quick prayer over them. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for you've spoken through Mike and Holly today. And it is a word for all of us. And Father, I thank you for their lives and the way you've brought them through for your church and the way they were faithful and obeyed. And the way you've given them a testimony about your work in their lives in your work when those are in crisis and need. Praise and honor and glory be to you for 
bringing them through a time of unemployment and crisis. And we give you thanks for them and that they're a part of us. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's show our appreciation again from Mike and Holly. Thank you. Matthew 25 says this. Jesus is talking about the time of judgment and when we're standing before him. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. If you are looking to find God in the world, if you're looking to draw close to him, it may be, just maybe, the place that you find God is that when you go to those who are hungry, naked, in prison, when you go to the stranger, when you go to the one who is unemployed and about to lose their house, and maybe when you go to them, you actually enter into the presence of God. And if you find yourself hungry, sick, in trouble, without a job, not being able to pay the bills, when you find yourself in crisis, what this text also means is that God identifies with you. For Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, did it to me. These are the kinds of people that I identify with. It sure doesn't feel that way when we're in the midst of crisis. But when you're in the midst of some of the darkest times in your life in crisis, Jesus meets you there. Let's stand and sing together.